Welcome to Pot to Popular, a podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstream in cannabis. Join along as we learn from the greatest minds in this industry and learn about how cannabis is becoming part of popular culture, health, wellness, and industry. Welcome to today's episode of Pot to Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Matteo. Today, we're joined by Kyle Nystrom, co-founder and CEO of Quim. Quim is a leading female self-care product in the cannabis industry. Kyle is going to join us today and talk about why sexual wellness and cannabis should not be taboo subjects and what she's trying to do to help women empower themselves to take over their sexual health and well-being. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks so much for having me, Rosie. I'm so glad to have you here. I know this will be a fun conversation because we always have fun conversations when we're together, but um, I want to start a little bit about the background. First of all, tell us what is Quim. Give us the two-minute elevator pitch. Great. Um, so Quim is a self-care line for humans with vaginas and humans without vaginas who love vaginas. Um, we make intimate health products with a very vag forward mindset. And these products currently have cannabinoids in them. Um, but frankly, we, you know, while we operate in the cannabis space, you know, we are a plant-based wellness company. So, you know, we use cannabis when it's effective. And I think the future of Quim holds, you know, plants far beyond cannabis. I cannot wait to hear more about that, but let's actually talk a little about your background. You, because you have played an important role in bringing cannabis into the conversation about personal and sexual wellness since launched in 2016, which is actually, you know, a lifetime cannabis. Can you just take a moment and give our listeners a brief overview of your background? So how did you get into the space and how your health challenges and your experiences influence the brand's mission to give us like the founding story? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think there's sort of two sides of it. Um, you know, I, my background was in enterprise software sales. You know, I started at the, you know, just smiling and dialing, uh, in tech sales, worked my way up, um, to selling to large retailers like Ulta or discover MasterCard. And, you know, I think learned a lot in that, uh, learned a lot in that space. Um, I think primarily, you know, learn sales, which I think is an essential skill set for anyone who is going to start their own business. Um, and I also learned that making money was important to me. You know, being financially independent was really important to me. And I don't think that's something um, growing up, I didn't aspire to be wealthy. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, having money uh, makes life a lot easier. Um, but the work wasn't super satisfying. I didn't feel really driven by the purpose of my work. And I wanted to get involved in the cannabis industry in about 2015. Um, in California, there had been some really exciting new legislation passed. And I felt like my type of consumer wasn't really being represented in the consumer brands and sort of the, the imagery of the industry. Um, I also wanted to get involved in the industry because my dad had been incarcerated for nonviolent cannabis crimes. I was raised by a single mom. And that was something I carried with a lot of shame. Um, it's not something I really talked about until I started working in the industry. And so wanted to get involved in its earliest stages to help, you know, take part in the legislation and make sure that, you know, fewer people uh, were negatively impacted by the war on drugs. So started working as the head of sales at Meadow, which is a tech platform that powers California cannabis um, and started to learn a lot more about the medicinal benefits of cannabis. I had been, you know, a recreational user for years um, and had never used topicals. And I got really excited because, you know, parallel to all of my career, to my career path was, 
you know, almost a decade of dealing with recurrent vaginal health issues. Um, I got my first UTI when I was about 18, um, which turned into a kidney infection, which put me in the hospital, um, went on multiple rounds of antibiotics. And, you know, I think antibiotics are a godsend when you really need them They're you know, they can actually save your life. Um, but they also wipe your body of all of the good bacteria, leaving you exponentially more likely to contract a vaginal yeast infection. And, you know, over-the-counter monostat will take care of about 96% of vaginal yeast infections, but the ingredients can be really drying and really disruptive to your system, sending you right back to probably the KY or Astroglide that started a lot of this. Um, so, you know, over 50% of people with vaginas prefer to have sex with some type of lube. Um, and yet the most widely available, easily, easily accessible are glycerin-based. And glycerin is a metabolic byproduct of sugar. So if you have, you know, BV or just a sensitive uh, vaginal ecosystem, you really shouldn't be using glycerin-based products. Um, you're just going to be feeding that bacteria. And so that cycle, you know, continued for about eight years. And when I was in college, I started to look for proactive vaginal care. You know, if I know like my mom is super susceptible to these issues, my sister is super susceptible. Um, and this is the one body I have. So how do I, get ahead of it. How do I care for my vagina and how do I care for my intimate wellness in a way that isn't reactive because that wasn't working for me. And I was just trapped in this cycle and I really couldn't find anything. So, you know, I went to all the natural food stores, talked to naturopaths, um, found a few ingredients that worked for me, um, and then could never find products reliably. So I've always been, um, you know, I've always enjoyed making concoctions and potions in my garden or in my kitchen. So I started making little tea tree suppositories. Um, this is years before I learned anything about cannabis. And it was the first thing that worked for me. Um, and it really made me feel like I was taking control of my personal health, um, in a way that I hadn't felt empowered to do. And I hadn't felt supported by my doctors. You know, I would, go and see me, my general doctor, my OBGYN. They're like, oh, well you should pee after having sex. And I'm like, yes, I, I, I think right. everyone knows Try that. that. <laughs> right. yeah, I've, I've tried that now. What? Um, and so fast forward a few years later, I'm working at Meadow, um, learning a lot more about the benefits of cannabis, um, when used topically for people with vaginas, learn that cannabis is a vasodilator. So it's going to increase blood flow to that area of your body, um, which will augment your body's natural lubrication. It can heighten sensation. Um, and there are a lot of anti-inflammatory properties. So if you have, um, you know, tension in your pelvic floor or endometriosis or PCOS or or PTSD from sexual trauma, um, cannabis can be a really powerful medicine and helping sort of relax your body. So I had already been making my own vaginal health products. I started infusing them with cannabis, um, and just made them for, you know, made my own product, made products for myself for probably about three years or so. Um, before my girlfriend started calling me and being like, Hey, can I get another Mason jar of your, your, your weird, you know, lube. And I was like, Oh my gosh, wow. Sure. And so <laughs> I never thought that this was going to be a business. Um, but when it became clear that there was potentially a, a market for these products, um, I brought in Rachel, my co-founder, um, who's a woman I grew up with in San Francisco and has a very, you know, I would say we're, we're pretty much polar opposites. Um, and I always knew that, um, you know, 
I I'm not the type of person who could do this alone. I needed a co-founder. And so, yeah, we started working on it as a sort of a side hustle in 2016, um, and didn't start doing it full time, uh, until 2018. And that's really when we launched the brand as you see it now. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about Quim and it also about, um, you know, the partnership and launching products into, you know, as a CPG product, which it is now. So it's an innovative and unique line of products that, you know, are uniquely situated within, you know, as you said, the realm of both cannabis and vaginal health. And, you know, a lot of the topics just brought up, these two things are often stigmatized categories. And I imagine when you spoke to your doctors, you know, about what you were doing, there was probably a little bit of pushback or a little bit of stigma around that. So how do you think Quim is helping break down societal stigmas and ultimately benefit uh, the diverse range of people. Yeah. You know, I think something that's really guided me in this process, um, and knowing that there is a lot of stigma still around cannabis, there's a lot of stigma, um, in talking about vaginal health. You know, I think everyone wants to be sex positive. Um, and I think that's sort of trendy right now, but talking about like, um, discharge or, post-coital inflammation is, you know, I think people, there is a lot of stigma and shame around it. And something that's really guided me is knowing that, um, Quim isn't necessarily for everyone. And by trying to make something that is for everyone, you, you kind of lose what makes you special and what makes you unique. And, you know, there is a large enough market of people who are looking for alternative products, who are, you know, who have been trapped in this cycle, who have tried everything else, who have talked to their doctors and they're not getting help from their doctors, that there's enough of a market there of people who are looking for alternative solutions. Um, And, you know, I think it's our job to make sure that we are developing these products with doctors, you know, with OBGYNs, with naturopaths, with, you know, chemists, um, because, you know, the, the vagina is one of the most absorbent parts of the human body. And you need to be, you know, I think because I came from such this like very traumatic cycle, I'm incredibly careful around like what I use in and around my vagina. And I think having that, um, you know, it's not like, we're just like, oh yeah, we'll use this because it's cheaper. You know, we'll use glycerin because it's more shelf stable. Like, no, we're not going to do that because, um, it has it, you know, we are in the business of making products for people who are really considering their intimate health and wellness and want to, you know, I think of intimate health as sort of like the next chapter of the wellness boom. Like, I think we're starting to understand that it's much more effective and sustainable and cost-effective to take care of your body, you know, just keep, stay healthy instead of waiting until you get sick. And, you know, once you get in a cycle of, um, you know, sickness, it's really hard to get out of it. And so I think daily ritual, you know, ritual-based care is the way to stay healthy, um, and a way to, you know, connect more deeply with your body. But yeah, there are a lot of stigmas and, you know, quit might not be for everyone and that's okay. Yeah, it might not be for everyone, but it is pretty impressive that there are mainstream retailers like Madewell and Urban Outfitters that are picking up the products, right? So like, what conversations um, do you hope products like Quim will spark among retailers and consumers? Because I have to imagine that like opens the door to more consumers and more of that conversation. For sure. I mean, the fact that you can buy our products at Madewell or you can buy our products at Urban Outfitters, um, or we did this big pop-up with Nordstrom last year. And it's like, when I think about how huge it would have been for me as like a 21 year old to go into Urban Outfitters when I'm like getting my acid wash jeans and like 
have been dealing with all these health problems and to see these products, it would just, it would have been, it would have been so exciting. I would have bought them and it also would have made me feel so much less alone. And I think there's a bigger, there's a greater shift that's happening right now around, you know, Sephora is carrying lube. Like that's so exciting to me. And I think, you know, the next generation is really normalizing sexual health. And like, they're, you know, the kids these days, they're not afraid to talk about sex and they're not afraid to talk about health. And, um, you know, I think the way sexual health connects to your mental health. Um, and so I think, you know, there's, there's a big shift happening right now, even in the last few years, looking at how much more crowded our space has gotten, which, you know, when we were first starting out, I was, you know, and I was raising our like friends and family round, people would be like, ah, this is like so niche. This is like a niche within a niche within a niche. And now I'm talking to like big VCs and they're like, yeah, no, this space is, this space is popping. Like there's a lot happening here. And to me that that's just, it speaks to the fact that like, we're not the only ones doing this. And that's actually really exciting. It shows that like, there are greater attitude, uh, shifts in attitude across the board. And that's just really exciting. And I see this myself. I think, you know, I'm a mother of four daughters and I've got a daughter who's 13. And so, you know, going through all the things. And I remember being at that age and, you know, talking about periods, like you didn't do that. Like your dad didn't know you had your period. Right. And now like they all talk about it all the time. It's just like, they're not, you know, this next generation, they're going to be so much more fortunate than we were. Cause people just, they just talk about their bodies. They talk about it. Like it's normal, which it is right. But we didn't grow up that way. And even to that point, you're saying with the VCs, like I even think about like, you know, I hear like the conversations around like the 13 year old girls, like they want to order their, you know, tampons from like a a D to C brand, but autumn or August, whatever it's called. It's like, there's this huge market for it. Um, But yours is interesting because, you know, we're entering this new era, but it's not only cannabis, it's cannabis and sex. Right. So, which is like we said, we're a little more, you know, both sort of stigmatized, products. So I have to imagine the marketing can be tricky around that, right? Like we're seeing the uptick of it. Um, what do you say has been like the key messages that you, that, that, that have resonated with that target consumer, right? And like, how does the marketing strategy work? How do you guys think about that? Well, it's something that has to evolve all the time because, you know, our, our ad accounts will get shut down and we'll have to, you know, try something different. Um, but I think the core messaging is always going to be the same, which is, you know, you Rosie Matteo are the number one living expert on what it's like to be in your body. Like, you know, you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a mother to know more about what it's like to live in your own body than anyone else. And I think, you know, for us, it's, you know, Quim isn't, about cannabis and it's not about sex. It's about intimate self-care. It's about caring for your body. And there's so many different modalities to do that. And so whether, you know, I think we're able to speak to the cannabis consumer, we're also able to speak to, um, you know, women who are going through cancer treatment and are suddenly put into early menopause. Um, there are so many different ways, I think by keeping the messaging about, caring for your own body about connecting to your body allows us to, you know, we don't have to just talk about sex or just talk about cannabis or just talk about you guys, you know, while we started out in cannabis and while our first products were designed for sexual enhancement, it allows, I think the, the opportunity and the, the vision to be so much bigger, you know, this can be so much, um, it's not just cannabis. It's not just sex. Um, this is, you know, a revolution of the feminine health aisle. 
I love it. And, you know, to your point, you're saying, you know, that the space is getting a little more crowded, right? Um, and as you have these conversations, so considering you how, how you were, you know, a fairly early mover in this space, so how does the brand continue to differentiate itself, you know, from similar products? Yeah. And I think, I think that's a good question. I think it's one of the reasons why our product line has stayed really small. Um, we have, you know, we are launching four new products this year, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, but we, if there is another brand that is making a product really well with clean ingredients, I'm not interested in just re repackaging it with the Quim, you know, brand. Um, I think we're living in, you know, we have one planet and uh, there is, you know, a, a environmental impact to putting new products into the world. And so for us, if we're going to launch a new product, it has to be different and it has to be, um, you know, addressing a need that people that either, you know, something I'm looking for and haven't been able, been able to find something we keep on hearing from our consumers are like, oh, I love this product, but you know, it's like, I love this other brand's product, but it has this ingredient that really doesn't work for me. Or, um, you know, it's not compatible with latex condoms. So for us, I think the differentiator, I think is really about, um, I think like ethical, like values driven product development. Um, and I think it's really about daily use, you know, over 50% of Quim customers use our products on a daily basis. Wow. And so when you think about the fact that like, I think the average married couple has sex, like maybe 50 times a year, like that's, that's on the higher end. Um, and the average menstruating person gets one period a month for let's say maybe 25 to 30 years, if your products only address sexual enhancement or only address um, period relief or only address, you know, one yeast infection a year, then the use, you know, the sell-through is going to be a lot slower. And I right. think for us, it's about, you know, every day I brush my teeth and I floss and I wash my face and I use lotion. And if it's, if my skin is really dry, I'll use an oil. And it's about that daily usage that I think that I think is probably one of our biggest differentiators. All of our products are designed to have multiple use cases um, and to have ingredients that are gentle enough to use on a daily basis. Yeah. And to the point, I love that you guys, you know, really stay plugged into like consumer preferences, right? Listening to the customers um, during the R&D process. I, I'd love to understand also just how you... Um, ensure, you know, because some of this is like, you know, new form factors or new, you know, um, new formulations. How do you guys ensure product safety consistency as you, you know, grow the portfolio and as the, as the brand scales? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely very different from when I was cooking these things up in my own kitchen. Um, right. you know, we work with, um, and we have a big team of R and D specialists. We work with, you know, we've worked with PhD formulation scientists that specialize in uh, feminine health. We work with naturopaths. We work with different manufacturers that have all of the, you know, necessary certifications um, to produce intimate health products. And we do, you know, all of our products. I think by virtue of us starting out in California cannabis, that has probably some of the strictest testing regulations. You know, it's. The, the cannabis testing regulations are so much more stringent than FDA testing. Um, but because that's where our roots are, all of our products are, you know, tested by a third party, you know, because these are used, you know, vaginally, they can't have any heavy metals. They cannot have pesticides. And I think our products are actually probably a lot cleaner than what you would find, um, you know, by like an FDA approved lube. So I think, it's built into sort of like our, our company makeup. And it's something that's really important and really expensive. 
and <laughs> you got to do it. You know, you can't just, um, these products have to be body safe. And they are so high quality and you can tell, you know, from, you know, every touch point of the product and it's amazing to see, you know, and talking about, you know, the makeup of the company, we talked about Rachel uh, a little earlier and I want to talk a little about, you know, sort of the business side of things. Um, and we talked a little you know, mentioned the VC raising capital is obviously an essential part and daunting, you know, to grow a brand, especially in the cannabis space. And you guys took a unique approach by initially fundraising through friends and family, which many do, and then via a crowdfunding platform. But now you're currently doing an official seed round through more traditional pathways. So why did you and Rachel decide to take this route? And do you believe there's a practical option for other cannabis brands, like the sort of, you know, run, crawl, crawl, run, walk type of thing, whatever the, the, the order. Yeah. Um, crawl, you know, walk, run. There we go. All right. Yeah. I think we are <laughs> going to get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think we are doing a crawl, walk, run. And I think particularly because we started out in California cannabis, like very early, you know, very early brand days. Um, it was really important for us to, I think so many companies, I see so many companies these days, be it in cannabis or in the femtech space that, you know, raise two, three, $4 million at a pre-seed. They have not even launched. And then they, you know, I, I get sent these decks and I see they're like, yeah, we're going to do direct to consumer and cannabis. And then we're going to like launch in CVS. And I see it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that's, I, I love it. And it's so naive. Um, and I think for us, you know, there was no way that we were going to be able to raise $5 million in 2018. You know, brands weren't doing that. Definitely not in cannabis, unless they were backed by, you know, Snoop Dogg or were vertically integrated and, you know, we are not. And so I think for us, it was super important to raise in sort of smaller tranches of capital, show what we can do with that, show what we've learned, show that, okay, here's why it makes sense for us to operate in the cannabis industry in California, but not to have a manufacturing license. Um, here's why it makes sense for us to do sales in-house before hiring a showroom and distributor. You know, I think when you are in all of these sort of taboo industries, be it sex, be it cannabis, when you're um, a female entrepreneur, when you're a first time founder, there are so many things stacked against you. And for us, it's been so important to be able to show what we've learned at every step of the business. So, you know, when we raised our friends and family round, it was really, we were selling a dream, but we hadn't even, you know, the packaging was still like Rachel and I still hand applied every label and, you know, stamped everything ourselves. And we had to show that we could take it from this very like homebrew craft, you know, farmer's market product um, to something that was, you know, then sold in 300 different dispensaries in California that we could scale from that stage to the next stage. Then we had to show that we could expand into hemp derived CBD products, that we could grow a direct to consumer business without having access to traditional D to C, you know, marketing channels, you know, without being able to invest 50 grand a month in Facebook ads. Um, we had to show that we had, you know, an incredibly high repeat customer rate. We had to illustrate, you know, we had to demonstrate that when we launched a referral program, that it would be our lowest customer acquisition channel by far. And that people, you know, that these products not only work well enough so that women are willing to like text and email their friends and be like, you should try this, but that they were the way that we were talking about intimate health empowered people to become evangelists. And so, you know, our referral program has driven almost a million impressions across social yeah. media since we launched, which to me says, of course, the products work, but the way that we're talking about this, it, we've broken this 
intimacy barrier and we're empowering people to talk about it. But, you know, like I said, I think we had to, at every step, we've had to prove that we can do what we say we're going to do. And I think, you know, this next chapter is about, it's about taking Quim from a beloved brand in the cannabis space, um, or, you know, for people that, you know, are buying our products every month, or they subscribe to all of our products on a monthly basis to what happens when we really put fuel behind the fire. You know, what happens when we grow the brand awareness by, you know, 50 X, will people still, you know, we have to demonstrate that we know what to do, that we can scale this business up. And I think that's what this next, you know, that's what this round is all about is showing that like, listen, we've done this in a vacuum with so little capital and we have amazing metrics. The business is really healthy. So now we need, you know, we need to be able to actually invest in growth. And here's how we've demonstrated that we can do this with no money. So now it's time to do it with capital and we need to hire the right people and launch the, you know, the, ne- the next products um, because there is an appetite for them. I love it. It's just such a smart and common sense approach to doing it, right? Like proving the concepts and then, you know, scaling it. And speaking about things not happening in a vacuum, you know, building a canvas ground from the ground up, especially in the early days of the industry, does not happen in a vacuum. I would love to ask, who would you say have been the most valuable mentors throughout this founder journey? And also a lot of people are listening to the podcast, you know, there would be founders. What advice would you give newer entrepreneurs trying to find support network in this space specifically? Yeah. Ooh, that's, I don't know if there's like one specific mentor. Um, I am really good at keeping in touch with people. Um, and so there are, you know, I would say I have like you know, like my coaches and my cheerleaders, it's like a a team of like 10 people that I talk to on a pretty regular basis. You know, it's not like regularly scheduled calls, um, but it's people who have believed in us from the very beginning. And, you know, whether it's, you know, the CEO of the first tech company I worked at, who is the one who like, when I have to do a, you know, when we're redoing our deck, I like pitch him a hundred times and he's just like, he just rips me to shreds until I can like really stand there and deliver it. Or, you know, people like Paul Rosen, um, who is one of our earliest investors who just got what we were doing from the very beginning. Like he really got it. Um, and you know, people like Bob Manuzzi, um, you know, another one of our early investors, or I mean, people like you, Rosie, like working with your team has been, I think watching Matteo grow has just been so exciting in that, I see the way there is a level of excellence to everyone on your team. And I think about Renee all the time. And I'm just like, I've never been very lucky. I've never been so impressed with, I remember the first time I met her, I was like talking to her, going back and forth with email. I was like, this one, she's gotta be like 38. She's gotta be like almost 40. She's like so on her shit. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but I think watching watching women like you or Emily Paxia or Christine De La Rosa start um, with these really small teams. And then over the years become these sort of like titans of their industry is so exciting. Um, and also, you know, Rachel and I with like, you know, we had only raised maybe like $200,000 and it felt really crazy to do this, but we invested in a business coach, um, you know, sort of like a business couples counselor, um, a woman named Leslie Santos, who, uh, she is a psychiatrist and also has all of this Esalon training. Um, she does resilience, like resilience mindset training. 
And we did this like six month course with her where we'd each have individual sessions. And then we'd meet out at the beach and like go for a two hour walk and like talk through our stuff and really learn. Um, Rachel and I are so different and the way we think about things and the way we problem solve is so different, which I think makes us a really good team. And also, creates all of these opportunities for miscommunication. And so investing in that from like the day one and being like, okay, this is how, you know, when you're under stress, this is how you react. When I'm under stress, this is how I react. And here's how that works. And here's how it could potentially not work. So like now we have all of these, this sort of like toolkit of ways to support each other, which I mean, gosh, in the pandemic, like, I don't know what we would have done without that. Like, I don't know how you could go from like working together all day, every day, to going remote and like talking through zoom and FaceTime, um, it just wouldn't have worked. And I think it's set, um, it set the foundation to grow a team that really, um, yeah, they think that invests in communication, like a, a communication and empathy and thinks of those as skills and strengths and not as like soft skills. <laughs> it, it is so important. And I don't hear people talk about it enough because like so much can get lost or things can turn in with the bad communication, you know, the things that just the way you say things. Right. And I also believe in, in investing in coaching. People think like it's an expensive, you know, endeavor, like, you know, everything, everything, you know, so much capex going into, you know, building a company, but how expensive it is to fix problems that you could have gotten ahead of. Like, I even think this in terms of like, you know, diet, nutrition, like using nutritionist, using like a coach, it's like, you can do it yourself, but you'd be so much better off if, you know, let somebody else do the thinking for you. Um, and I, I love and why, that. And why not get help? It's like, help, right. Reach out alone. Get help. Ask we for were, help. That's my yeah, number I, one advice. I was 26 when we started working on Quim. Rachel was 25. We had never, or Rachel had, you know, been on a founding team of like an interior design collective, but you know, had hadn't, it's not like we had a ton of experience and, it's really stressful to grow a company and, and all these different taboo industries. And I just, you know, I can't imagine like everyone needs help. And I think we get into like, you know, the choppiest waters when we're not able to ask for help and we think we have to do everything by ourselves. And it's like, no, like be good at what you're good at and then hire people to help with the things you don't know how to do, whether that's a nutritionist, a coach, a therapist, a software engineer, like you can't do everything. And I think when we try and do everything, that's when you really start to flounder and, you know, lose, lose your connection to like the purpose of what you're doing. Absolutely. I I could not agree with you more. And I'm so glad you're speaking, but hopefully people will, you know, take that as a piece of advice, you know, invest in your personal, professional, you know, and interpersonal skills. Like it's the only way to, I think, be successful, right? Because you're not on an island. You got, you're building a team. You you need to have those like that empathy. Um, And just, you know, to wrap up, I have a few more questions. So we're talking about raising some money and we talked a little bit about formulations without giving too much away. Like are any new products, or formulations we can talk about that we can get a little excited about, a little preview here? Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, trying, I'm like, how much can I say? Um, we do, we have a couple of new products coming out this year. Um, some of them are just going to be um, mini sizes of the products we have already, which will make it easier to try these products without investing in the full size. Um, we'll open up a lot of gifting and bundling options. Nice. Um, that's definitely something we've gotten feedback on um, from some of these big retailers like, oh, we want a bundle or a mini or this. Um, but we also have, you know, two 
two net new products that I'm really, really excited about. Um, one will be press release. Actually don't tell us here. (laughs) Yeah. I won't tell you, but they're really exciting. And you know, what I will say is they're not on the market. You know, that's, that's why I'm really excited about them because it's not like, you know, we're not doing like a quim menstrual cup. There are 30 companies that make amazing menstrual cups. We will not be making a menstrual cup. The products that we will be launching, um, you won't be able, you know, you won't have been able to buy them before. And that's really exciting. That's very exciting. And then to, you know, cap it off, what are you most excited about looking forward to holistically, you know, for cannabis 2022? Yeah, I think as the industry really develops, you know, as I think people, you know, cannabis is getting normalized on so many different levels. Um, I think what I'm really excited about is the fact that more and more people are open to trying cannabis and are not necessarily looking uh, for the psychoactive high. They're looking to cannabis um, to relieve psoriasis or muscle pain or menstrual cramps or enhance their sex life. And I think cannabis is just, it, it's becoming more and more of a medicine and people are starting to understand that. So I'm really excited about um, senior users. Uh, I'm really excited about, you know, postpartum, you know, new consumers, people, who, yeah. people who haven't maybe tried cannabis before, but are open, are a little bit more open now. And I think that's really exciting. Also excited to see our THC products um, in other markets, which is something we're working on. So you know, a lot of states uh, have some type of infused intimate oil, you know, not a lot of them or any of them uh, have a latex safe option and a latex safe option that isn't glycerin based. So I'm really excited to bring the THC uh, products into some new markets. Let's go East Coast, baby. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's always so much fun to talk to you. I mean, how many times do I get to hear vagina in 30 minutes on the podcast? Like not often, like how lucky are we today? Yeah. I mean, I, I love um, it. I say vagina. My style. <laughs> you guys can't see us. We are having the best time. <laughs> we always have the best time, Rosie, but I, I would love, um, I don't have like an Alexa. I'm sure, I'm sure Siri is listening to me, but I would love to get some type of like word map and see <laughs> what words I use. I'm sure vagina is like the word I say the most from Mondays through Fridays. Listen, live your brand girl. That's right. All right. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Talk to you soon.